in China or whatever. <clears throat> and actually, you know, the British government does it. The US government does it. Uh, yeah. Everything is being being looked at. Everything's being... Of course. Yeah. You know, it's it's one rule for, you know, it, it's the same rule, just, you know, it's just a different government. So, um, and everyone has to work by those rules, um, just like financial services and regulations, you know, everything kind of, you know, bubbles up and, and we'll find a way, you know, that's, uh, that's the it, It's an interesting point you have, because I see it the same way. I think actually what, um, okay, in Asia, Middle East, they're, they're quite more like upfront about it, like, hey, we're recording this and we're doing this. And if you do this, you're going to be in trouble or if you're using this service or, for example, Middle East, if you watch pornography, there's going to show up a black GMC in front of your house. It's not going to happen. They don't enforce it, but people live with that kind of fear, those kind of things. And over here in Europe, it's like, oh, yeah, freedom, liberty, everything is open. Uh, no, mate, it's not really the case. Like the government knows just as much as they know anywhere else in the world, and probably even more of what you're doing. And what's what's what the UK is, I, I, I absolutely love it. Um, well, from July the 19th, everybody will be in the pubs watching football, won't they, Paul? Yeah, well, we have Freedom Day, the Day of Liberty, what we like to call it, coming up. Um, I still don't believe it until it happens. And even though, like, I mean, so, so just to let's take a step back here, right? I was at the Mobile World Congress last week, right? Which was, um, it, it was fascinating because, like, you, you must imagine, you register for this Congress. Within five minutes, I got a letter from the Ministry of Health from Spain, signed by the minister, saying you're officially ex um, you have an, um, you're exempt from any kind of testing. Um, you don't have to quarantine. You're more than welcome. Signed by the ministry, and please fly in. So, whoop! All of a sudden, I don't need to be vaccinated. I can fly in for the Mobile World Congress, and this went worldwide. So, when I went there, I had people from Japan, Korea, China. The entire globe met at this event, and it was 15,000 people on the first day. Yes, they did the safety thing that you have to get tested before you walk in in the, in, in the morning. But other than this, the whole world was meeting. Nobody checks you. There's no temperature check or anything. And then I spoke to a couple of my colleagues, and some of them are even exempt from doing any testing because they're up there. And, and then I flew back to the UK, landed in uh, London Gatwick, so I have to take the train into central London. No, but frequent travelers, which means they have to fly to Europe every week. So which means the policies don't apply for everybody and there's no scientific backing. I mean, if you can put 60,000 people in a football stadium, then you know what? You can put 60,000 people into an exhibition hall. Don't you agree with me, Cash? Because yeah, yeah. I think that's... Yep, yep. So this means um, for me and Cash, luckily, um, life is somehow uh, returning to normality, which means that we can make people meet and greet each other again and uh, the networking can start. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think it's something that's been missed, right? I mean, you see it, right? I mean, I know, you know, the trade shows, you know, have always been that, that place where you can meet all of your customers in one location, right? I mean, you know, years ago when I worked for Interaction in, in Europe, you know, I spent two years traveling around the world in, in what I would class the hmm. capacity conference um, circus. And, and it was kind of crazy. You know, I met people from London, but I never saw them in London, right? I'd meet them in Dubai or KL or in Singapore or wherever it may be around the world, but never actually get together with them in, in the home city where we could have traveled 10 minutes on the tube. But but actually, it's, it's um, I mean, the events in China are back on, right? And they're back on in a, in a big way. I mean, we, we, um, we were part of a 
an event just recently in China, which was attended by our sales team and, and a number of the team in Tianjin, um, Cloud Connect. And I mean, you know, it's a huge event. I mean, of a scale that, you know, we, we just don't see external to China, right? But it's, uh, I can't wait till we can travel. I mean, you know, Cash, hey, we're stuck here on a tropical island, I mean, I 80 expect- miles from the equator <laughs> and, and have been for the last, you know, year and a half, right? Um, and as much as, well, <laughs> Well, that's good. You're talking to a Welshman and you're talking to someone from, from far too north. In, in but you both don't look very tanned. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, you know, this is the thing, right? I, I never thought I'd say I was stuck on a tropical island. And as much as I love Singapore and I call it my home, um, I also do want to leave. I do want to be able to travel and go and see places again, right? You know, it's, it's getting to that point. Um, but, you know, we're very lucky to be here and, and you know, it, it just we just need to open up a little bit just to give a bit more flex and start things moving again but cash knows more about you know what may be happening i'm sure he's on the inside somehow getting the inside track on what's happening with regards to events and how we can start those again in yeah i speak to the uh, catering manager down at marina bay sands uh, frequently <laughs> so that's about as high up as my um, official government uh, contacts will will go but on a serious note, yeah, we're, we're closely aligned, Cloud Expo Asia Data Center World with the Singapore Tourism Board. And just an update for the listeners, um, you know, absolutely, I think Singapore said 70% of the population needs to be vaccinated by National Day, which is August. You can get testing over the counter now. Um, unlike the UK, our track and trace system is incredibly efficient and works and every home's getting an oximeter so basically what they're saying is they're treating this as an endemic now just the same way as they would uh, the flu seasonal flu they're not tracking so much the cases in the community which are relatively low anyway even for a population of 6.5 million but hospitalization so i think there's an acceptance that this is with us now and we all need to find a way of getting back to some level of normality or or pre-COVID. So we are fingers crossed. The show is going ahead. DCW Cloud Expo Asia will be going ahead in October. And we're working on the details with the Singapore Tourism Board now in terms of exactly what that looks like in terms of visitor numbers and international visitors. But there's a, a strong sense that Singapore will cautiously, as always, but optimistically start to move towards our new normal by September, October of this year. So hopefully, yes. Uh, Thailand's opening up to visitors. Uh, Bali, apparently, they're talking about green. You're talking about holiday now, not about business. He's like, Bali's opening up. That's that's part of it, Paul. (laughs) You've got investment property in uh, Bali and Thailand. What are you about to put a plug on for, uh, you know, go to this website. There's this amazing villa for rent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're all in, in need of a, a bit of respite. Just to echo James's comments, you know, Singapore is a great place, but we also have the whole of Southeast Asia for business and personal travel. So I think we're all hoping that we can get back to meeting up face to face, both for personal business and, and family. So, um, yeah, roll on. But you guess what? It's not coming home for you guys, though. It's coming home over here. So, um the football is coming yeah, home. Well, how, how do you feel about uh, Are you Austrian or German, Paul? I, I can't quite remember well, what flag you, you fly you, on, what, what, on what occasion. Yeah. Um, well, you see, my biggest issue is that I'm, I, I think it's a great thing for England, but the problem is the Brits are the most ungrateful people that you can be around with. 
and I mean, the, the got after the group, they already started singing It's Coming Home. Um, people were That's admit, it's a on the street. Song, though, Paul. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, at least it should come home once before you start singing it. And I mean, the last time I think it came home was in what, 1960s or something. It was, it was definitely, it was definitely the, the, the Queen was used to go to nightclubs when, when <laughs> it came home the last time. It that means something, you know? So um, it's just, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's like in life, there's certain people you want to progress in something and there's certain people you don't want to progress because if they progress, it's just unbearable. And um, the UK Stop football team and enjoy it. <laughs> but um yeah i mean yeah so um should we should we speak about um data centers um so um james mccartney um yeah welcome to yeah. the uptown punks yeah and this right. is the asia edition with cash and um yeah to all the listeners we we have some guests here from singapore i'm connected from london myself and um yeah we're here to speak about a little bit about the chinese and asian data center market uh cloud market digital transformation and maybe we should start with James. James, um, what was your first mobile phone and your first computer? Do you know, right, so Cash said I was going to get this question, and I, and I meant to look it up. Um, now, I, can, I can't remember the exact model number, but, but, but my first mobile phone, I do remember. It was, it was this kind of Panasonic uh, block, and I was super, super chuffed to get it. It was like 1993, 94, maybe around then when I got my first mobile phone. And it was just the best thing, right? I mean, I almost crippled myself. I couldn't afford, afford it, right? You know, I got, got myself in debt. You know, I wasn't earning much money as a, as a newbie salesperson. Um, but, you know, all I wanted was this damn mobile phone and spent way too much money on it. And, you know, it was appalling and no one else had one. But, hey, I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, my first computer um, would have been uh, ZX Spectrum. So I remember my parents getting me that, the uh, ZX81. So nothing nothing flash. I think, you know, a lot of people my, my age, I'm 47. Um, now would have sort of, you know, grown up with a Spectrum as their first computer, you know, playing games where you had to actually put in a tape and press play, walk away for 15 minutes and then come back and hopefully the game would have been loaded. Uh, and, and even then it really wasn't worth playing the game anyway when you think about, you know, what's around today. So, yeah, that's a, a, little, a little glimpse into my past there. And is that what got you sort of in the realms of tech or was there anything else which like basically lit your interest no not at all right i mean i kind of i i kind of you know went through the the start of my life uh, and i didn't really have any desire of what i wanted to be or where i wanted to go or or you know so i mean if i think back you know to where i am today you know i never thought i'd be sitting in singapore um you know as an evp of a data center company that builds facilities, technical facilities and infrastructure in China, right? Having said that, I wouldn't have said that that's where I thought I was going to be sitting three years ago or five years ago. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's not that it's happened. I certainly, you know, there was a time in my career where I'd been working with data centers, you know, when I was at Colt uh, back in Europe, uh, when I started with them in 2004, so 17 or so years ago. 
And I started working within the data center market or data center industry there because Colt had a number of data centers and I had some customers that had that kind of space. And it was from there I, I sort of made that choice and that decision to say, right, okay, I'm actually going into data centers um, and and this is where I'm going to be. And I, you know, I love it, right? I mean, it's big projects. It's big engineering stuff. You know, it's physical. You can go and see it. You can touch it. You know, it, it's not it's not ethereal it's it's a physical piece of kit and you can see why it's so expensive even though everyone tells us it's too expensive and they want it cheaper or half the price you can see where your money is going right you know on on, on this large infrastructure that's being deployed so yeah that's that was kind of when i made that decision back probably 12 years ago to go into data centers full-time so my first gig was with interaction and then you know on onwards and upwards and now you know today i find myself working for chiora you know, with our first data centers going operational, we've got uh, another facility and campus coming online in August next year in, you know, just in the peripheries of, of Shanghai in the Shanghai region. So, you know, it's exciting times. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's, there's, there really is. It's a great time to be in infrastructure and data centers. So speaking about your love for data centers, what's one of the coolest ones you've been in? So Facility-wise. Probably, right. So probably one of the coolest and craziest I've been in um, was a facility in the UK. And I'm not going to say exactly where it was, but it was built on behalf. I mean, if anyone's listening who knows me when I worked in the UK, they'll probably realize where I'm talking about. But it was a data center just north of London built for a bank um, to a, a crazy, crazy standard. To the point that this bank had invested, I mean, I think it was it was some crazy figure, like 100 million or something, you know, someone actually told me. Now, that may not be accurate, um, but it was a huge amount of money with infrared, multiple fences, but there were two tiny data halls and the bank never actually really commissioned any infrastructure load into it. They may be deployed about 200 kilowatts yet it was designed for five megawatts, but it still cost this huge amount of money. But that was just a cool data center. Um, you could literally land a Boeing on the roof, I think, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have crumbled underneath it. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I came across a similar one in um, Germany. They built it in a World War II bunker, and which was uh, underground. And the problem they had was that the ceiling is just one meter and 50. Wow. So they, had to, like, so they had to make special racks in order to fit it in. Like little, little uh, dwarf racks. Yeah, like little dwarf racks in order to fit it in. And the walls are five and a half meters thick. And they're saying, like, literally, you can throw, like, an atomic bomb on it. And it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even move by an inch. Yeah, I, I mean, so, yeah. And, and, and this, is the, this is the crazy thing, right? I mean, we, you know, I've been selling data centers and talking to people. And, and certainly when I was working in the UK, there was always, right, you know, you're looking at that distance and separation, one, to meet regulations. And we, we have the same sort of regulatory compliance requirements in China around FSIs. But, you know, back in the UK, people are saying, well, we need to make sure that this data center north of London is separate to South London because, you know, it can't be within 30 kilometers because if there's a disaster, that takes out both of those data centers because they're 30, 40 miles apart, um, you know, that's bad for business. And I, and I could always, I always struggled to get my head around, well, what sort of disaster are you thinking of here? Like some bomb that blasts out 40 miles of London. I mean, I think we're going to have bigger issues than, you know, whether someone can order an online garment or whatever it may be, right? Um, you know, 
you know the distance stuff and all of that sort of stuff um yeah i mean in 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 china we have exactly the same sort of challenges same questions around resilience you know and and you know if i think about my answer of course i should rethink my first answer to your question and actually the coolest data center i've ever been to is our new tj1 facility in tianjin in china that was that was bad one and my my ceo oliver i'm sure will kick me if he listens to this podcast so apologies oliver so why so why is that data center so cool so much cooler than the other data centers <laughs> as um, in more blinking lights it, it's it's, it's uh, no so we're doing some really so we're doing some really cool stuff at the moment actually so we've we've built out we've built out the campus and i think one of the challenges or one of the great opportunities that that we're facing in, in china is that a lot of international companies have gone into the market a number of years ago and they're now struggling with you know right where my data center is located and the partner i've chosen is that providing me a platform and the scalability or the assured scalability to actually grow my business so they're now thinking about oh okay this is forcing a change just like financial services the change in fsi is also forcing a change so people are you know the international banks can now you know have 100% ownership of their what were previously JVs in in China but that also means that they've got to meet certain regulations which means you know a lot of them are now looking for infrastructure um what we're doing i mean our Tianjin campus uh, we've got our first data center operational TJ1 uh, that's 3000 racks um of of sort of IT um, but the campus can scale up to 25,000, right? I mean, it's a 300 MBA campus. So, I mean, it's, I mean, the scale is huge, but China is huge, right? I mean, is it one of the biggest growing markets? I mean, when, I remember when we had the, the, guy, the guy from Mercedes, um, he was, York, he was just talking about like the, the scale of it. Like it's like we, the, 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 he, how did he explain? He's like, the digital infrastructure, he said, the digital infrastructure in China is the same as the entire digital infrastructure of the entire planet combined. Um, this, is, this is what he was saying. And the advancement in China is beyond because, like, he, he, we spoke to him in early December, yeah? And he was speaking about how WeChat had um, the COVID tracking app up within two weeks, while over here in Europe, we were still like, I don't know, Singapore is maybe different. But he was saying the advancement or cars, autonomous driving, all of these things, it all requires data centers um, to keep things up and running. And there's so many remote areas in China that don't have access yet. And this is where the potential is there for new data centers to pop up. Like uh, it's, it's an endless demand. Um, that's what it is. Well, I, think it, I, th I think it is. And, and look, I mean, demand is really driven by the, your potential audience, right? Um, and and who who do you have access to? And somebody explain China because you know we you know we talk about China scale, right? Everything is enormous. You know, if you think about our Tianjin facility, it's really serving that northern sort of tri-state area, Tianjin, Beijing. And for any listeners who don't know where Tianjin is, look at a map. You'll see Beijing uh, and sort of just south, sort of uh, just towards the coast. And on the coast is the port city of, of Tianjin, about a hundred. 110 kilometers from Beijing but that tri-state area serves a population close to 130 million people and when we think about you know the sort of I suppose the size of China from a population therefore what's that market what can you access I mean that's like taking the populations of North America Europe and Russia and adding them all together 
and that's you're, you're then getting to the sky the scale of, of the Chinese population right that 1.4 1.5 billion and and that's ultimately your market right who are the banks going after they're going after you know wealth management they're going after access to you know potentially retail banking um, and commercial banking within within China. Uh, manufacturing, well, we all know certain companies manufacture everything in China, right? You know, Apple is one of them, right? So, so, and they also, it's one of their largest markets. So, yeah, I mean, when you think of it in that, in that respect, it's the opportunity is huge, which is why our campuses need to be huge to provide that scalability and that opportunity for these people to just really build a platform and then know, right, okay, I, I've got assured scalability and Gosh, if we if we run out of twenty five thousand racks, I was trying not to swear. Um, if we run out of twenty five thousand racks, you know, um, you know, I mean, that's a great problem to have for us as a business. But you know, I'm hoping we can we can meet the requirements of all of our customers. So, Is that a challenge to the market? Make me run out of twenty five thousand racks. Yeah, Bring it on now. Exactly. <laughs> How fast can we do it? I mean, you know, the the opportunities are, are coming thick and fast, and you know. The, the digital transformation, which we are a critical part of, and if you think about the Chinese sort of, you know, 14th, five-year plan, right, um, a huge amount of that is 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 about building up uh, China's digital infrastructure. And, you know, so we play a critical part of that, and our relationships that we hold with the government are, are going to be incredibly important, you know, with the regional governments in Tianjin, the support, the great support they give us. And, you know, likewise, in the new investments that we're making and, and you know, look, hey, just watch out because, you know, um, you know, we'll be uh, launching and, and talking about new data centers all the time, I hope, over the over the coming sort of 12 months or so. It's a super exciting time to be, I mean, at, at any organization building infrastructure in China, right, at any data center company, I think it's the best industry in the world. I'm, I'm biased. Um, but it's a super exciting time to be at Chiora, right? I mean, it's just a, a time, it's that inflection, right? I hope, you know, we're going to explode um, with new campuses and Shanghai is just going to be amazing. I mean, I've seen the images. I can't share them with you guys because you're listening to this. Um, but, you know, get in touch if you're interested. You know, it's, it, it's an amazing it's an amazing looking campus. I mean, I joked with our head of design, are we, are we in the data center business or are we in the condo business? Um, you know, it, 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 it looks smarter than my condo in Singapore. Put it like that. Anyway, I rant a lot, don't I? I talk a lot. No, no, that's great. Um, but let me ask you, um, as long as we can still ask these things, um, during the lockdown, did you discover yourself a COVID gadget, some sort of device that kept your sanity over the last 18 months? And you bought it just during COVID because you're like, oh, you know what? This 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 makes me happy. <laughs> now you may think I've frozen because obviously, guys, <laughs> but I'm actually just thinking about that. That's a strange left field question. Um, a gadget. Well, we ask every guest this question because it's quite funny. You'd be surprised the crazy stuff people have purchased themselves. One guy bought himself a Mini Cooper desk to work on because he wants to feel like he's still driving to work. Wow, that's but amazing. Gosh, that, another, that's another guy got a, a the, the, the CTO of OVH Cloud got himself a pinball machine so he can, doing his teleconferences, play pinball at home. Oh, my gosh. But, Right, mine are, mine are just so dull. Though. I mean, it doesn't matter what I say now. It's going to be incredibly, it's going to be in, incredibly dull. Um, look, I have just found myself, um, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've got four children, so I've just found myself spending more time doing a really uh, a huge amount of Lego. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I haven't bought it yet, but I've been thinking about it throughout the whole, um, you know, the various lockdowns. I and mean, look, we haven't had it as tough as some some other countries. Right. It, we've been very, very lucky in Singapore. We haven't had it as tough. Um, but, you know, the big wish list is the Millennium Falcon um you know pieces but it is a thousand singapore dollars can you believe that for some lego my son is like all over this right he's four and a half he thinks this is the best thing ever and he doesn't know why uh, i haven't bought it already uh, and i keep looking at his mother and looking back at him and i want so, to so how about how about 20 how about twenty five thousand racks are done yeah, yeah, and then you get the Millennium Falcon, and we bring you back for another episode here. Well, show it to yes. us. I actually said that we should actually have. Uh, I said that we should commission Lego to build a, a, a big scale Lego uh, data center, and we should have it in the foyer of our, our Tianjin data center. And then for Shanghai, we should have a, a Shanghai version, but actually properly crafted by some Lego genius. So if there are any Lego absolute masters or whizzes listening to this, seriously get in touch because uh, that would be so cool. And I'm sure I can convince my boss that it's a good idea. Um, They're okay. Um, we're going to put this in the post even that looking for a Lego wizard. Looking um, for Lego masters to create a model of a data center. Really amazingly, right? You guys be laughing. We have somebody coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks who's going to be speaking about. Um, the, the magic behind AI in food and taste buds. Wow. Our AI is being used now to modify food and recipes in order to hit the perfect spots if you go to a five-star restaurant. Um, yeah, so this, this, does this mean that we're going to lose the talent of all those amazing chefs whose job it was to do that? Now we can just... Yeah, so basically, he, this guy is like... Yeah, so he's is it called a food chemist. He's a doctor, professor, doctor, food chemist from uh, Oxford. He's uh, a young guy, hipster, like cool guy. And he's basically, that's what he's doing now. He's like analyzing what's the favorite flavors of everybody. And then you combine it and then you put the recipe uh, on the table. And that's it. It's quite, um, I had dinner with him last week, which was quite strange because he's like overanalyzing everything. I would, yeah, but we went to a restaurant, but he's like overanalyzing, like, you know, he takes a spoon, he look at the content of the soup, lets it drop down, tastes it. He's like, nah, that's not good. Next thing. And like the chef came out of the kitchen because he recognized him. The chef was like, oh, it's such a great honor that you're here. So what do you think about my food? He's like, oh, that's flat. This is this. Huh? That's incredible, right? I mean, you know, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, technical advancements, right, that we're seeing and, and, you know, I mean, I'm at, uh, at the sort of infrastructure layer, but I mean, it's amazing what people are achieving, right? With technology. And I mean, you know, just today, I mean, you know, what people are doing today, you know, wasn't even thought about, you know, four or five years ago. And I've got friends who I speak to who are doing things that, you know, that job didn't exist, you know, when we were kids growing up, right? Or, or, or even five years ago or three years ago, you know, the, the, the pace of change and momentum is just, is just ever increasing, right? And then with that, you know, the amount of data that we all store, you know, it goes beyond just pictures of cats. Um, but the amount of data that we're storing is just kind of crazy, right? It's, um, you know, again. It's, 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 I, I, at my Congress, I saw there's a Fitbit now coming up for um, cats and for um, 
fish in your tank. I mean, if you wonder how Guppy the goldfish is feeling today and how many times it moved his flipper, um, this is the kind of things that you can order suit from Amazon for 80 quid. Uh, it's a little implant. You put in a little goldfish right, and you know what? Yeah, but it's data. I mean, but this is yeah, 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 data again, which needs to be stored somewhere because um, absolutely. I, I mean, I, 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 I bet we'll need it one day. You know? Yeah, I'm. Sh I'm sure there's a use for it somewhere, and there'll be a use case. I I just hope that maybe the data that we're storing in uh, Chiora's data centers in in China is actually going is doing something a little bit more useful. Maybe helping you know find cures for things, or you know break genetic codes or something super cool, right? Um, as opposed to, what's that doing? Uh, storing fish flipper data? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. Cash, Cash is like, yes. So I, 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 enough of me. Cash has some uh, questions, I think, as well, because um, Cash, stage is all yours, mate. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm just carried away the, with my fish I'm, data. I'm just trying to still get the image of somebody that would be um, concerned enough to put a, a Fitbit on a fish. I've heard of people putting a Fitbit on the dog and getting the dog to run around the park while they had a few pints, but um, <laughs> Fitbit on a, on a, on a fish is a, is, a, is a new one for me. But um, yeah, I wanted James to give us a little bit of background. I think he's kind of touched upon it, but James and I, along with the good people at Structured Research, uh, Phil and Jabez, have been working on a, a global content series um, to actually tease out some of the points that James have highlighted in terms of the scale of China, which is a great interview with um, Oliver Jones around some of the opportunities that exist. So maybe James, you can give us um, a little bit of a snapshot of what the viewers have got in store in terms of the global content series, which we'll be releasing soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, what we wanted to do, and I mean, I remember when we were um, starting the conversation, Cash, and we were sort of trying to think, you know, how do we get across one the size and scale and the opportunity and how we can support? And it's, there's a lot to try and you know get across to the market, and and we felt, well, we talked about lots of different avenues and, and opportunities, and we thought, you know what, maybe a series of informal conversations with you know senior people within our business you know so i think we've got uh, one coming up once we we get the dates confirmed around the launch of these you know i think that they're, they're about 15 20 minute sort of interview snippets that you know you can listen to or you can watch um, you know, Oliver Jones is being interviewed. He's our, our, our CEO. We've also got our uh, COO, uh, Jonathan Burney, both two of our founders being being interviewed as well. And, and also, you know, down to our head of operations, Tiger Zhao, you know, talking about operational excellence, because it's easy to build a data center, right? Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to belittle our industry, but you know, if you pay an engineering company enough money and you've got enough money, you can build a data center. But how you then take that and how you then operate that facility to a, to a global standard is super important. So, you know, Tiger's talking about that. So we've got a few other things going on, but it's kind of 15 minute sort of breaks, really. Right, Cash? It's similar to like the Bloomberg uh, quick takes. I think it's kind of 12 yeah. to 15 minutes and I think James pretty much uh, nailed the sequence. So we've, we've got Oliver that gives us the, the big kind of overview of the opportunities in the market. And then Jonathan and um, Tiger and Yali all give their you know, kind of individual perspective. So if you're listening to this and you do have an interest in understanding 
the overall Chinese market, the scale, the opportunity, and then of course how Choyora can be your kind of trusted partner, digital infrastructure. It's going to be well worth a watch. So yeah, we're going to roll that out over the next um, couple of weeks. We've we've done all the the fun bits of that, and that's currently um, in the editing department. And another piece of content again, which I, I think was quite interesting. So we all recognise the Chinese um, uh, banking sector. I think we've seen a a lot in in the press. I think it was the World Economic Forum that talked about. You know, the Chinese financial markets opening up to foreign financial in institutes. And I know we've heard this before. Everybody talks about, you know, the, the 45 trillion uh, strong market. Uh, but there's definitely be some key factors and key, key shifts. And I, I think it would be interesting for the, for the listeners, particularly those in the banking and finance sector, to um, understand a little bit about, you know, what that white paper is going to be about and maybe what excites you about the, the Chinese market, uh, James, particularly from a, a banking finance sector, watching that open up from a, a bird's eye view, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we've, I mean, it's a great piece of work and I'm really, really proud of proud of it and I mean you know Cash you were instrumental in bringing it together with 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 you know Catherine to support us on this piece of work but yeah I mean the the white paper itself is going to be um, entitled banking on China so it's it's entitled banking on China a new reality which uh, I would love to say was my idea but you know Cash is the master of words and uh, I must admit he he coined that phrase but what we wanted to do and you know what I Everyone understands the shifts and the changes within the, the financial services model um, within China and what's happening, certainly the opening up to the international markets. But but actually, a lot of the information is disparate and it's very hard to find and very hard to understand. Now, at Chiora, we we've invested a lot of our time in understanding what exactly do the regulations mean? Right. What do they mean from an investment banking perspective, from a local perspective, from a fintech perspective? <clears throat> so we've done a lot of this work. And I'm not saying that this white paper is going to you know, give you the answers to all of those questions, because I'll be blunt. Um, you know, the idea is that you read the white paper and you look at the white paper and you say, wow, I need to speak to those guys at Chiora to uh, get more information about how they can support us you know, accessing the market, how they can help us, support us, you know, migrating to their facilities to have that assured scalability. But but we've sort of broken it down into some chapters, right? So we're, we're looking at, you know, why now the challenges and opportunities, what the policy and regulations are, technology, and then achieving that business longevity. I mean, for me, what I find exciting about the market at the moment is just the, the size and scale of it, Cash. You know, I mean, you know, when we look at what's happening, it's just it's just exciting to be part of something that's growing. And it's such an opportunity for the international banks. And they all realize this, right? You know, I mean, we're seeing investment, huge investments from the likes of JPMC in their new joint ventures, you know, with China Mercantile around wealth management. You know, there's just a lot of interesting stuff. And for me, the, a, another really interesting piece is, you know, if people are doing projects, we get to help with supporting those projects, building those projects, building the infrastructure for them and actually supporting them through the migration and maybe even coming up with some some ideas that will support them to make those migrations net neutral or to support them into our facilities or maybe, you know, give them a slightly different view on, you know, how they can do things and how they can interpret the regulations. Because, as, as one of them, we, we interviewed a, a number of people for this, and one of them works for an international bank. 
And and as he said to us, and I think there's a quote in the white paper, it, it says, you know, everyone talks about China as doing a place that's difficult to do business in. But actually, it's about the partners that you select. And actually, everywhere has regulations, whether you're operating a bank in Singapore, in the UK, in the US, everything has regulations. Every regulation anywhere in the world is open to interpretation. It's about understanding those regulations and certainly working with the partners that can support you. So that's kind of what it's going to do. I mean, you'll probably, uh, if you connected to me or, or Cash, you'll probably start seeing some snippets coming out, right, uh, from the white papers. We kind of break it down um, and then we'll be be launching it. It's, uh, you know, not a huge amount of work. So hopefully it's enough to get people to read it, but not too much that it's daunting. You know, it's 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 not like a 40,000 page document, right? We we want it to be easily accessible, easily understood. So um, yeah, super excited about that. So it's a great piece of work, really good. That's amazing. Okay, so we're gonna make sure that the links are up so you guys can basically um, read them up and follow them up. Um, just, just one last question. <clears throat> Net zero sustainability, how much is that on the radar if you're guys building a data center in Asia? or operating it? Is that a, a topic that's encouraged from the government side as well? Um, or, yeah, just if you could give yeah, us sort I mean, of like... Sustainability, I mean, I got, gosh, it's such a huge question. And actually, this came up on our executive management meeting just last week, um, you know, about not just the sustainability of us building data centers or offering, you know, green power contracts. It needs to go beyond that. And I think that's the responsibility of everyone in the industry and also the responsibility of those people consuming data centers. Um, you know, a lot of the time people talk about the idea of wanting sustainability. And I think we need to look at not just how we operate as a data center, and certainly this is in Chiora, not just how we operate as a data center, but also, you know, how we work with our supply chain. And, you know, what are our supply chain doing in order to be green? You know, yes, great, we can offer you green power contracts. But a lot of the time, people say it's a priority, but actually it drops off being a priority because they need to pay for sustainability. They need to pay to actually have those green power contracts. Um, for us, it's super important. It's becoming more important. I think if you look at the move to wind and solar power in China, it is off the chart. Um, you know, just go and have a look. You know, if, if you haven't heard of them, uh, Google a company called Goldwind uh, in China. They're part of the RE100 climate group. Super cool company. Massive amounts of investment in wind uh, and, and solar technologies and certainly wind in uh, up in um they're doing a lot up in northern China. So there's a load of really good stuff. And, and, you know, it's becoming more important for us as an organization, or it is important for us as an organization. Um, but I think it needs to be not just driven by us as the vendors or suppliers or, or developers of, of data center infrastructure. It needs to be driven by our customers as well. And they need to commit to actually saying, right, we're only going to do business if you fulfill certain criteria. Um, that then drives a behavior in the industry. Um, but we are absolutely committed to sustainability uh, and continuing along that. You know, it's a huge part of what we do. 
Okay, that's great. Um, with that said, um, we come to a halt because um, we never try to keep the episodes too long because otherwise um, our listeners they don't have a long attention span. It's like with toddlers, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what were we huh? talking about? <laughs> no, I'm just saying because the problem that's the yeah, it's 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 you, lovely listeners and subscribers out there. You just don't have a more attention span than 40 minutes. Unfortunately. Hey, hey, before uh, we go, we have to ask James though, right? We we know how passionate he is about the data center industry, but if you could wind back the clock and um, have your time again and choose a different uh, career entirely, what would it be? Wow, gosh, again, um, I hadn't really thought. Do you know, I'd, I'd probably do something around automotive, right? It would probably, be, I'd want to be somewhere in automotive. I wouldn't go back and be a programmer or anything like that, you know, um, but it would be something around the automotive industry. Um, so you basically I, build Land Rovers with Lego, is what you're saying? Yeah, I, 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 build, <laughs> I just build Land Rovers, um, or I'd or I'd restore. Actually, I saw this really cool company in Australia. I know we're now 36 seconds over 40 minutes, but I saw this really cool company in Australia that is doing some amazing conversions of old series Land Rovers to electric Land Rovers. And I think I saw a post from Guy Wilner. Uh, I have a feeling he has an old Series 3, which is an electric converted Series 3, which he drives around, uh, which is super cool because I've got an old Series 3, which I've refurbished and is fully restored. And now I'm thinking, I wish I'd had it done as electric. Um, so I may have to get it converted. But that's a big conversation to have with my wife. That's for another day. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds like we should recontinue this conversation in about 15 minutes on the PubMate. Yes, indeed. I will see you there. Well, right. or after the twenty, or after the twenty-five thousand racks assault, and he has the Millennium Falcon in his hands. Yeah. Well, thirsty. I don't think I could wait. I don't think I could wait that long, Paul. I think we're thirsty yeah, after yeah. a long day. But uh, thanks for inviting yeah. us on, and uh, yeah, thank you. Amazing. Uh, thank you, guys. Yeah, stay awesome. safe. Right. Stay safe, and see you hopefully soon in Singapore. Thank yeah. you. Cheers. Thanks, Paul. Bye. thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.